and I thought my life was ending because when you're so young, you're so sensitive to changes that run out of money and the world will not move forward. It will go backwards. So if I just put that boundary up when I first meet a guy, if they really, really like me, then they have to work for it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Najahi Events. Now, have you ever thought about taking your company public, having an IPO? That sounds quite daunting, doesn't it, if you run a small business? Well, today's guest cares very much about that particular subject and has started a company and now helps businesses get their companies floated on the stock market. Now, that might sound like a bit of a grand and very corporate thing to do, but lots of small businesses suffer. They struggle. They don't know how to get capital into that business, or if they do, they have to give a huge amount of equity away. Our guest today will show you that that doesn't matter and you can avoid those pitfalls by following what she teaches. Saba Youssef studied at Cass Business School, then went on to Ernst & Young. She's had a stellar career. She's a really smart businesswoman. Let's welcome her onto the show. Thank you to Najahi Events, who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. Saba Youssef. Yes. On the Spencer Lodge podcast. Yes. Now. Finally. <laughs> I want to come on your show. Let me come on your show. <laughs> We're going to come on your show. Hello, don't make me sound like a loser. I only asked you once. Once. And somebody oh, else asked on your behalf as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you're here I now. asked her to ask you. <laughs> well, you're here now. You and take it as a compliment. Absolutely. I, I do take podcast. it as a great compliment. You, you love my podcast? Yeah. What was your favorite episode? Um, honestly, most of the episodes I like because of you, if I'm being honest. Because, because I think the way you bring out the personality in your guests is a talent. You're very funny, which I already told you. I'll take that. And I like your humor. I like your Essex humor. So it makes your podcast more viewable and more engaging than perhaps another. It's not actually about the guest. Interesting. You know? No one's ever said that to me before. You're welcome. Not in that way. So I'll take that as a lovely compliment. Thank you. Okay, let's take it from the top then. Yeah. You, you and I met on a boat. Yes, on Jimmy's boat. And we were out there for a Mind Valley uh, networking event, I suppose we would call it more than anything else. Yeah. And uh, I got to know uh, a few people, some weird and wacky people. I remember getting to know there was a guy called Shaft who was, uh, I remember him. Uh, what's he into? Women's sexual energy or something like that. And so he was, he was there and uh, he was a bit, it was a bit shocking getting to know him. Um, but, but there were great people on there as well. And, yes. he, and he's lovely too. So it's not like he's not a nice guy. Oh, I know who you're talking about. The one dressed like a hippie. Yeah. 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 He was a bit weird. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But nice guy. Yeah. I hope he's nice guy. Whenever I insult someone, I say after, but nice guy. Yeah. He was nice guy. Yeah. 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 Have a nice I really liked him <laughs> in a quirky kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who else did you meet that day? Well, obviously, um, Sadia, which was wonderful to meet her. She's amazing. Um, and I'm really bad with names, but I met quite a few people. Okay. Obviously, Barissa was on their vision and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And people that we knew. Yeah. Um, it but it's just nice to, I, I'm not a great fan of networking. Yeah, me neither. You know, I don't like going into an environment where I don't know people. One yeah. to one, fine, no problem at all. But when it's, when it's, you know, a, a group of, if I'm on stage, that's different. But if I'm actually in a room and I've got to go and get to know people, I'm the guy that's in the corner looking at my phone, pretending to be busy writing emails. So I'm the same. That's why I was in the corner with you chatting to you because I also don't like big crowds. I don't like talking to a lot of people at the same time. I don't like meeting people that I don't know. And people from the outside think that I'm this extroverted character. It's so far from the truth. I think I'm a severe introvert, but over the years I've trained myself on how to be comfortable in large crowds, but it's not my choice. I'm most comfortable when I'm one-on-one or one-on-two. That's it. What do we need to know about you and your journey? so that we can understand where to start from today? My journey is I am trying my best in life to disrupt things any way possible for the betterment of the planet and society. Why? And I've almost dedicated my life to it. I'll tell you why. 
When I graduated from university, first of all, I wanted to study history and I wasn't allowed because I come from a quite a conservative Pakistani family in the sense that you do what you are told and you stick to the rules. And I respected my parents for that because they invested a lot into my education. So I wasn't allowed to do what I wanted at university. Then I worked at Anderson Young for two years. Again, that was my dad's wish. Then I had to go into the family business and I wasn't happy. So I disrupted my life. And because I did it, I thought, hold on, I can do more. I can disrupt more and I can show other people how to disrupt their life. Life doesn't have to be hard, but we're almost conditioned to think that it is. And that is my mission to just show people that it doesn't have to be. There are, there's always an answer for everything. And if you think outside the box, I think you can get there. So why not get a helping hand in that? That's what I'm here for. So where in your past or your childhood or on your journey, is there a significant event or a series of events that's led you to being what you want to be today? Oh my God, where do I start? I mean, when I was 13, my parents got divorced. And then, like I said, I'm from a Pakistani family where this is super frowned upon. It's just not done in our society. Even though my parents are British, they were raised in London, um, it's still not the done thing. It was really hard for me to digest because my sister had just been born two years prior. I was starting my GCSEs. My house was falling apart. I would sort of run away from home during the days and go study in the library or go to the mosque and just sit for some peace of mind. And I felt lost. And I thought my life was ending because when you're so young, you're so sensitive to changes. And young people, they need a family unit. Even if it's a bad one, they need to know that their mom and, da- mom and dad are under the same roof. So to break that unity and safety was particularly difficult for me. I wasn't expecting it. So everyone was fighting and it was a very tumultuous divorce. I think it took my, took my parents five years to get divorced. It was hard. I had my little sister. I was concerned about her. She needed attention. She needed time. I was trying to do my GCSEs. And... When the divorce was finalized, everyone was at war. This one, this one, my aunt was not talking to this one because my dad said this and my mom said this, she did this. And I thought, hold on, this is not going to work for me because this will be my downfall. My family was always my strength. So it took me 10 years to blend my family back together. And I mean, even the periphery of the family, the extended family, everyone, I made everyone friends again. And most importantly, I made my parents be able to co-parent and coexist because I needed that for my sister and I and I took it upon myself at the age of 15 16 to make this happen and it was the hardest thing I've ever done but now we travel together we respect each other everyone's forgiven each other we found a way to make it work and I just have no regrets but it was the hardest thing to do it's the the equivalent of metaphorically putting a broken family in a room and locking the door and not unlocking it until everyone has said their piece, forgiven each other, made up with each other, hashed it out and just been honest. And it's hard for Pakistani um, people in their mid-40s to go to therapy and try talking about their feelings. It was really hard, but it was non-negotiable for me. So I think that is the first way I disrupted something major in my life and it definitely shaped be emotional. I was very emotional, honestly. And year by year, I feel I'm becoming less emotional. I'm still emotional inside, but year by year, I feel myself showing emotions less. And I don't know if that's because of some triggers or some traumas from my past, but I'm I'm aware that it's happening, but I don't know how to change it. I would love to show more emotion. I just don't know how. Mm. But it could be what happened in my childhood that has forced me to be this way or it's allowing me to close off a bit more as I get older. What was your relationship like with your mum? It was very tough. I was always closer to my father and my sister was closer to my mother, which I was happy about. Um, There was no competition or anything like that, but we always clashed. It was always an abrasive relationship and that's also something that I thought I could fix and I did. Again, it took 10 years. Now we're best friends. You know, I think mothers also mellow with age. And I've seen that. So her mellowing and my intention to fix our relationship is the only reason why we've got where we are today. 
Now we're best friends. We speak on the phone 10 times a day. She takes so much care of me. But I didn't have that when I was growing up. Why do you think that was? I don't know. I think my mom is a great person. We just didn't click. We just didn't bond. And I think it's important that you don't blame the other person for it because then you can never have a relationship with a parent that you're going through this with. You have to just forgive and try to build, 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 build. It's never too late to rebuild a fractured relationship with a family member. And what about your relationship with your dad? It's amazing. My dad is my... Back to your childhood. My dad is, is my bestie. I mean, he was... I was the apple of his eye. He was my savior in life. He was the, the male figure in my life who protects and provides for me. He still is, to be honest. And we are best friends. And when my parents got divorced, I chose to live with my father for two reasons. A, my mother and I weren't getting along too well. B, I couldn't leave him alone. You know, he, he left the house. He had to build a new house and build a home and create a life for himself. And I chose to be the woman to do that. So it's strange because sometimes I'm his daughter, sometimes I'm his wife, sometimes I'm his mother. I, I fill all these roles, but this is just how we have morphed into over the years, our quirky relationship, but we're best friends. And you know, I trust him more than anyone in my life. You talked about trauma. So yeah. if you go back and think about trauma, where do you think you experienced trauma? I think it was from the day I was born, to be honest. I'm it's, sure everybody else experienced trauma it's, since it's you tough. were born. I, <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not wrong. <laughs> but I'm worth it. <laughs> um, but you know, everyone experiences childhood trauma. You know, even if you had that perfect childhood, which is amazing. I mean, everyone experiences trauma. From year zero to seven, it's when you're most susceptible. It's when your brain is most susceptible to feeling things, understanding things, um, exploring things and learning things. So that is when you're so sensitive. And even if your teacher tells you you're so bad at math, that can actually install trauma in you that can affect you later in life. So mine was a severe case, but I think even ha happy kids absorb some kind of trauma. It's ironic because you're born, you experience childhood trauma, then you spend the rest of your life trying to fix that trauma and then you die. That's how I, how I see life sometimes. But some people don't want to fix it, I which is a shame. I'm sure a lot of people don't know how yeah. to fix it. They just live with it yeah, and, yeah. And, and it raises its ugly head every now and, yeah, and then. And yeah, then they try yeah. and bury it and yeah, yeah. keep going, don't they? Right. Hmm. So you get yourself a decent education. Yes. Daddy wants you to do certain things. And so upon his advice, you do that. Yeah. What was the first job you had, professional job you had, where you felt, this is me? Did I tell you the story before when Ernest Young? No. Oh, my God. I know you, you, really, you really have done your research. Who have you been talking to? So I graduated from Cass Business School and I went to Ernest Young. I got a postgrad placement there on the international tax desk. So I was busy creating complicated tax structures to save rich people from tax. And I was really good at it. And I would, I'm a nerd, so I would go home and read these thick tax books and find new loopholes and new ways to save my clients 10 million more dollars. And I loved my job and I worked really hard at it. And I also care about looks and appearance and I feel it's respecting yourself if you look your best and I wanted to look my best at work so there was one turning moment for me turning point which was one meeting I had with a client and usually juniors don't get to go to client meetings we just you know sit in the back and we're unseen the partner took me to the meeting and I sat there and I didn't say anything and no one asked me anything I didn't do anything in the meeting we left the meeting and my partner said, great job, Sabah, great, great job. I said, what do you mean? I didn't do anything. Why did you even bring me the, to this meeting? He said, oh, I needed him to sign the check for next year's fees and you look good. So that's the only reason I brought you to the meeting. And I just burst into tears. I just started crying. I was 21. I was a baby. I didn't understand life. I didn't know how things work. I didn't understand the birds and the bees and all this and manipulation and how men think, how women think, how men use women, how women use men. I didn't know anything. I was naive. I hadn't even had my first real boyfriend at 21. 
And I went home to my dad and I said, dad, I'm quitting. I can't do this. I'm leaving. Can you believe this man said this to me? I'm so offended. He said, baby, because he calls me baby. He still calls me baby. He said, you're a woman. This is going to happen to you for the rest of your life. Get over it. Get used to it and go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> and I just woke up. I was like, oh, this is life. And I just made some some changes, some important changes into how I conduct myself at work, how to keep things professional, how to install boundaries between myself and men in the workplace. And I just took it from there. Yeah. And when you look back on that, did you think you did the right thing? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't quit. I'm glad I didn't let them win. And I'm glad I found a way to coexist with characters like that. Okay. So at time of recording, I think you're 30? 34, but 34. thanks. Okay, so I'm 52. Mm -hmm. When I was learning to sell, yeah. when I was working in London, yeah. I worked with a lady called Jackie Martinelli. Okay. And Jackie Martinelli had, back in those days, big hair. Mm. Okay, she was tall, she was slim, she used to wear a pencil skirt nice. and high heels to work, and she was always very elegant. Nice. And she took me out on one of her sales calls. I was, I was the junior. And I sat in the sales call and she was with this guy and she's still looking perfect as normal. She, she wasn't a young well, I was young, so she, she may have been 34. Yeah, yeah. She felt a lot older to me. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. very elegant. Yeah. And uh, she said to this particular prospective client we were dealing with, Jonathan, when do you think we should go ahead and do the business? Mm. Jonathan said, yeah, I'm not quite sure right now. And she put her hand on his knee and she said, the sooner the better. And Jonathan went, okay, I think you're right, <laughs> and signed the paperwork. Now, bear in mind, I'm a kid, I've never seen this before, and I'm watching this take place. I love that. And I came out of that meeting, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. Jackie, you've got to teach me how to do that. Yeah. And she's like, darling, you're a man. You'll never, never be able to do that. Yeah. So women... Women did the same. Oh, I'm not if, saying they if, don't. If you Women take, do it better. Yeah. yeah. My mum would always say to me, my mum's an attractive lady, still is to this day, a very attractive lady. Yeah. And my mum would say, you, you can get men to do whatever you want them to do. It's true. It's very easy to do it. Yeah, it's true. So, yeah, as much as uh, a guy might have said to you, you know, you're there, you know, you help because you're good looking. Uh, the, the good looking lady used that and the fact you said it's true. No, of course women do it all the time. It's not something I do. No, it's not something I do. And I, because I don't want it to happen to me. That's why. It's also the reason that I don't gossip because I don't want people to gossip about me. So I try to be a good person. <laughs> <laughs> At least I try. It's so funny because uh, <laughs> let, 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 me, let me describe the person I've got to know. Okay, that's probably a nice way because it'll give context to our, our, our listeners and our viewers right now. Sure. So uh, we, we, we've met a few times. Yes. Um, uh, once we met the first time, we met the second time. Then we met at the time with, with Maria and the yes. children from Bangladesh that we, we, yes. we had iftar with. And that was that was the softer side of you, I saw. Yeah. Okay. The other side, uh, the, the other times I've seen you, stern, almost uh, formidable. Mm. Uh, uh, and in fact, masculine energy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say as well. And so then when I did my research on you and I spoke to people about you, the, the, the people that know you describe you very differently to yeah. that person that I saw. I'm sure. Okay. Uh, and these people, how they described you was, no, 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 no. <laughs> you want to see her in a relationship. She's so mushy. <laughs> She's so lovey-dovey in a relationship. Oh going to kill this person who said this. You're ruining my game. <laughs> She's such a sweetheart. God, yeah. Oh, man. You, you, no, no, no. That's not the real person. Yeah. So why do you, and I want to talk to you honestly yeah. about this because yeah. we're getting to know you. Why do you behave the way you do yeah. in that kind yeah. of stern, yeah. forthright um, uh, way yeah. when actually you're a little sweetie inside? Yeah. No, there's honestly a really simple reason. Okay. Um, I am abrasive. I was abrasive with you. I was I was harsh when I when I yeah, first yeah. met you. Very because some women love attention from men, and I respect that. Mm -hmm. I don't. I just find it annoying. I find it irritating. Sometimes you just want to go out and just have a normal conversation where we can be same same, and no one needs to hit hit on anyone. And I'm not saying you were doing that. Thank goodness for that. No, you weren't. You weren't. But no, 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 you weren't. But I'm so used to men doing that, it becomes irritating. Mm -hmm. 
So my natural first meeting or even second with a man is just harsh. So they don't even try. I'm almost pre-programmed now to be that way. And I don't want to be that way. I want I want to be my normal self. Of course it is. Because you're stereotyping all men. But you don't know what it's like having been through 10, 20 years, let's say 15, of constantly just being sexualized. Where, you mean where, hit on or flirted yeah, with and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they just, they don't want to see you in any other way when they first meet you. It's just tiring and it's annoying. So if I just put that boundary up when I first meet a guy, if they really, really like me, then they have to work for it. They have to work to get there, to get the real me. And then then I'll know they're really interested because they worked for it. Or if not, they just leave me alone. We can be friends and have boundaries. And I don't have to go through all of that rubbish every time I meet a man. And in my business of biotech, it's 99% men, 1% women. Okay, I can only talk from my own experience in life. Okay, so that's the only place I would come from. Yeah. Men have to earn it. Yeah. Men have to work for it. Totally. Isn't that a bit arrogant? No, I think it's just facts. I'm not an arrogant person. Honestly, I'm kind, I'm giving, I treat people with love and care and respect, but why shouldn't men work for it? Okay, I'm going to alienate a whole bunch of people right now as I explain this. Yeah. There's a certain country that I've visited many times, and when I go to that country, the people from that country are very cold. Okay. Uh, I had an office in in the capital city and I would walk from my hotel to the office in the morning and do what I would do anywhere else in the world. As people walk towards me, I typically would either nod my head or smile. If it's very early in the morning, I would say good morning. Yeah. Okay. In this particular city, Mm. people thought I was a weirdo and like a whack job. Nobody. Because you're being friendly. Yeah. They just looked straight through you with a cold, stern, unengaging uh, kind of man. Me. So I want to know, are you sure your parents aren't Russian? <laughs> well, my ancestors might be. There's, there's a strong chance. But yeah. actually, my parents are very warm. Hold on, hold on. Because I'm going to give this context because I don't want to upset anyone. Yeah. Um, my wife is from uh, Uzbekistan. Yeah, She's Armenian yeah. uh, heritage, but obviously from the Russian-speaking community. She, yeah. she runs a business here called the Russian-speaking social club. So lovely, very much involved in the Russian community myself. Yeah. But yeah. my own experience, as I've said to every one of them I've ever met, why are you so cold at first? Yeah. You know, because you're adorable once they get to know you. Yeah. You're just such wonderful, warm and loving and kind people. Yeah. The rest of the world doesn't see that because but, they, don't, they don't get past that external barrier, which is what you described that you put up. But if you see me with women, I'm very warm. I'm kind. You're alpha. Open. You are so alpha. I'm friendly with women. You're alpha. Oh, come on. Let me tell you I'm what goes on. I'll tell you exactly what goes on in a conversation with you and a woman you meet for the first time. Okay. The conversation starts. No words. Yeah. Okay. No words. Yeah. Nonverbal communication. Now, listen here, young lady. I'm in charge. Mm. That's the nonverbal com- communication that goes. No, no. You don't say it. Okay, that's your demeanor. No. There's a reason for it. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm going to say it's you. I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. But that, that's who you are. I okay. know what you're talking about. Well, I'll good, I, I've seen examples of people where two women have met before. Yeah. Not you, not, not, not anyone that you would know. Yeah. Two women have met before, and that one woman, without saying anything, has been the dominant one. Okay, fair enough. Okay? I do that. Yeah. Now, I've seen that very same person who was the dominant one then meet another person and then be the submissive one. Yes, yes. And I just think that you walk into a room, yeah. you walk into a venue, you hold yourself a certain way, you yeah. carry yourself a certain way, yeah. you look a certain way. Yeah. And again, I'm getting to know you, so yeah, I'm seeing yeah, the yeah. different person. But that person that you are at first, I think, okay, is for some reason, born out of some relationship with culture or or, or or some nurture that's happened to you along the way that's made you go assertive. And I think it's because you're shy. Yeah. I don't think it's because you want to be yeah. cold and assertive. I think, I I think you're actually shy. I actually agree with you. I Like I said, I am an introvert. I just, I've never liked big crowds, big parties. You'll notice now that we're hanging out more, when I go to a party or a thing, I leave after half an hour. I just politely slip out. It's just not my thing. So it could be that I'm shy, mixed with a sprinkle of my experience. 
with men. Joan Collins in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, so no, I think I think yes. I I have I have to be assertive for for X Y Z reasons. From from you know life has probably made me this way, but I am warm and and kind and giving, and I can be submissive to to my my female friends or someone I'm dating. But it takes time, and I am an alpha, so I can I'm only attracted to men that are double alphas. Oh yeah, because if they're beaters, I will eat them alive. I'm zero interest. I'll walk all over them. I need a double alpha, someone that inspires me, someone that's better than me, smarter than and me, cooler than me. And then, as my research says, you become a little bit smushy. I, I do. <laughs> I'm going to kill this person. I think I know who it is. It's I'm going to. Oh. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to talk about work. <laughs> you didn't think you were having this conversation <laughs> today, did you? Yeah, I'm just, just wait. I'm going to get you back for this. Just wait. Let's talk about work. Okay. Yeah. Uh, saving the world. Yeah. There's uh, uh, being a change maker, disrupting things. They're, they're all great things to say. Um, I work with some people that their absolute mission has got to, to do with solving a big problem that exists on this planet. Yeah. Whatever that problem may be, yeah. they are obsessed with solving that problem yeah. and making yeah. the world better because of it. Good, yeah. Everything is secondary to that. You know, people okay. say, let's be commercial about it. You know, how much money do you make out of it? It's like, uh, I'm not interested in that. I want to solve the problem. Now, by solving the problem, they're making and building really successful businesses that are very profitable. But because their focus isn't on business, their focus is on the problem, um, they, they've enabled themselves to be really passionate about what they do and keep that passion there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So tell me about what you're doing to save the world. So I'm actually not like the people you just mentioned because my number one focus isn't saving the world. Um, my number one focus is to create a business out of saving the world, not because I'm shallow. It's because you need money to continue running the business. Mm -hmm. So if I don't think I'm running a charity here. So how I want to save the world is by investing in the most disruptive technologies out there that are way ahead of the curve, ahead of our time, and that will protect us from what's happening in the future. And by that, I mean climate change which is a very serious issue to me, close to my heart, and also human health equity. Everyone deserves the right to health. And surprisingly, most people on this planet do not have that option. And I'm trying to close the gap. I'm trying to change things that way because this is what legacy I want to leave behind. Why? I really care. I just really care. Look, I studied business and accountancy I went to work for Anderson Young. My father's in real estate. The only reason I would disrupt everything and fight with everyone to change my, my life's path that my dad planned out for me is because I just really care. I am obsessed with science, firstly. I've been studying it since I was 10 years old. And I really, really want to help people. You know how people do charity or people uh, give money this is my charity. This is how I'm helping. This is my creativity. My science is my art. And I get to mix that science into the whole universe. I, I, I get to make a difference. I get to contribute to evolution by also fueling my passion and my hobby, which is science. Okay, let's talk about the business then. Yeah. You've got involved in a few businesses yes. along the way. Yes. Which one are you most passionate about at the moment? Ooh, most passionate about, I would say Biotech Bureau. So it's a recently incorporated company, a few years. And what we do is we invest minority stakes, say 10 to 25%, into really cool, innovative businesses. We help them fundraise. We help them list on the primary or secondary markets. And we get to scale businesses. We allow them to help them grow in a new, disruptive way because over the last 10 years, you know, you get to know everyone in your community, in the science community, in the biotech community. People will come up to me and say, I have this amazing idea and no one's funding me. Or I'm at 10 million in revenue. I'm trying to get to 100 and the VC is not calling me back. And I just thought this is so unfair. Why is it that there's such a big gap between PEVC and the startup or the SME? It shouldn't be this way. And there's no one helping in between. You know what that does? It does not promote innovation. Because that SME will shut down. They'll run out of money and the world will not move forward. It will go backwards. So this is my way, this creative disruptive way with myself and a few partners of mine 
where we get to help the little guys become the big guys. Without the red tape, the bureaucracy, all the roadblocks, selling half your business, selling your soul. It just It doesn't have to be that way. Business doesn't have to be that way. And it's about time things changed. Well, arguably, yeah. the people that don't raise the money yeah. don't know how to raise the money. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If you're the founder or the inventor or the scientist or the ideas guy, how do you know how to raise money? Well, in in my experience, let's say you and I were business partners yeah. and we brought different skills to the table and you were the inventor and the scientist and all that kind of stuff. Mm. My job would be to, to be the commercial person. Yeah. So my job would be to go out there and find the money that you need to yeah. carry on the research to solve the problem that you're trying to solve so we can build a company, yeah? yeah. And if you and I were both scientists and yeah. business partners, then we, we would have to find other people to come and join our team yeah. that were able to bring the skills required for that business. Yeah. The reason that there's a gap between the VC and the small business is because nine times out of 10, that small business doesn't have all of the tools it needs to go and raise capital Correct. along the way. Yeah. If they fail, it's not because it's a bad idea. Nope. They fail a lot of the time because they don't know what they're doing yeah. commercially, yeah? Yeah. So are you saying you're going to step in and be that commercial step for them and help them through that process? That's exactly it. Because if you have one skill set, how can you expect to do everyone's job? If you haven't studied business or you don't have that support behind you, how are you expected to know it? You I can't You can't learn this in a book. I didn't study business. No, no, that's fine. But But you still learned it, right? You, no, I found people that could do it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because I didn't know how to. Yeah, fine. But then, what if you can't find someone? Well, because I, I come, at, no, I come across so many people in the biotech, science, innovation space, Silicon Valley, that are so clever, so smart, and they have no idea where to find people like you and I. Okay, so I'll give you an example. They don't even have I'll the give you an example. to have that conversation because they're not financially literate, but they're geniuses in their own field. Yeah. Do you get it? Or they might have, you know, a lot of scientists, they have ADHD, they are on the spectrum, they can't even have that conversation. They don't know how to. So why shouldn't we help them? I'm not suggesting you should, yeah, yeah, yeah. shouldn't help people. I'm just yeah, trying yeah. to understand yeah. why anybody in business would be naive enough to go into business without realizing what's required. I don't think it's I don't think it's naivety. What is it? I think it's just lack of experience. Because why shouldn't you, if you're so good at something and you have a way to change the world or change the the, the satellite industry, why shouldn't you go for it? Why 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 shouldn't you have have the courage to go for it, knowing that there are opportunities out there to help you through that process. You can't possibly be able to do everything. Okay, so let's take an example. Yep. And what, what I'll put a company on the table for yep. us to take an example yep. with, and maybe we Great. can run through the process. Great. It's not biotech, it's prop tech. So similar yep. in some respects. Nice. So there was a lady, mm -hmm. and she was part of the development team for Kareem. Kareem was sold to Uber. Yeah. She walked away with a bit of cash. Nice. And then she decided she was going to buy investment property. Okay. Build up a portfolio of properties. That's what she was going to do. So she started speaking to real estate brokers here in Dubai. Mm -hmm. And everyone was saying something different. And she sat there because she's, there's no data for her. She worked out that every salesperson was just trying to sell her what they could sell to make the most amount of commission. Right. So... Where was the advice? Mm. It was like just people trying to sell me. I've got to sit and work out what's the best investment. And she's like, I'm not a property investor. So she got really frustrated by that. She said, there's got to be a better way. Why can't we use data to do this? Amazing. And so she sat and developed a, a, a system where investors go to her platform. They put all of their information into the platform. And the platform, using AI and data, decides what's the best investment properties for them to buy. I love this. No salespeople, no real estate broker that's turning up half an hour late and all that kind of stuff and, you know, being commission focused only. It's literally that the system provides that and a more cost-effectively way than the big commissions paid to the brokers. Very disruptive. Disruptive because she was frustrated, like deeply frustrated. She, now she's, hold on, let me get it all out because it needs yeah. full context. She's super smart, tech savvy, Okay, has built the software out herself on a small team of people. Rubbish at raising money. Okay, 
doesn't know where to start, doesn't know how to do it. Okay. And she actually came to me from social media one day and said, I need help with some of my money. Can you point me in the right direction? Once we started talking, she told me about her business and I asked her what she was doing to raise capital. And she said, that's one of my challenges. I've raised this much so far. I don't know how to raise the rest. Is that an example of a type of company that you would help? And if it is, how would you then take, her name's Lena, how would you then take Lena, okay, onto the process of working with you and to the place she needs to go? Okay, this is my ideal client. Perfect. So typically, what she's probably being advised at the moment is raise money, sell some equity, go to an institutional investor or an angel investor. And what will happen is she will be selling her equity quite cheaply. Mm -hmm. And that's a shame. I'm, I'm against that whole concept and I think it's very archaic and it doesn't need to be that way anymore. So I would speak to Lena. I would look at her books. We would look for a minimum of two years trading history, a minimum in a few million in sales, which I'm sure she's achieved so far. Nope. Oh, so where is she? Not a few million in sales. One? Oh, in dirhams, maybe. One million? In dirhams or dollars? Dollars. Maybe in dirhams, yeah. In dirhams. One million dirhams. Yeah. Okay, so that for me is not a big enough proof of concept. I would wait for around a million dollars in sales. A million dollars in sales. In sales, okay. yeah. In aggregate. It doesn't have to be in one year, mm -hmm. even over the span of three years. And then when she reaches that point, I would look at listing her company and I'll tell you why. It's such a great way, a direct listing is a great way to legitimize your company, have access to public markets, be more credible, get more clients, make way more sales and scale your business without all the headache of selling half your company, selling your soul, selling your rights even, fighting for years to find some institutional investor to call you back. It's, it's an uphill battle. And this is a much simpler, faster, easier, cheaper way to do it. Okay, so let's go through the process. Yeah. Let's say they make a couple of million dollars in sales. Yeah. So we know the criteria. Yeah. How do you do it? Mm -hmm. How do you charge? Yeah. Um, how do you make money and how does it and how do they go onto that onto the markets? And what markets would it be that they would IPO on? Great question. So to answer your first question, I would look to take a minority stake, like I said, ten to twenty five percent for the work I'm doing and for my expenses. I will that's not a small percentage, ten to twenty five percent. Well, it's in the minority. I'm not asking for majority. And most VCs at this stage will ask for 49 to 51%. I know because I've been there. Wow. I've had I've had offers of $30 million for one of my companies for 51%. I told them to F off. I had $25 million offered to me because, because I know what they're trying to do. Anyway, so I would go for 10 to 25%. I will pay for all the expenses to get that company listed. And this is how I would do it. I have a disruptive way of injecting cash into the business i would do that that's a secret i'm not going to tell you why i'm not going to tell you what how you raise cash yeah that's my golden formula why i'm not going to tell you why maybe maybe in five years i'll tell you and to see how our friendship goes that's <laughs> if i didn't think five years to buy that i don't know <laughs> i'll have forgotten by then <laughs> and then okay so you have, have, oh, okay, you have a way of getting cash have a disruptive way of getting money into the business hold on a minute so let's just understand this so let's say you took let's keep the number simple let's say you took 10 percent. 10 percent. yeah there's 90 percent left between the other shareholders in the business yeah now by bringing capital into the business are you going to take further percentage nope okay i'm always and against is that, is that, giving away is that equity debt? of my companies is that debt it's not debt either so describe what it is without telling me what you're doing it's a creative way to inject some working capital fresh into your business so with, without without taking debt and with I'm not going to tell you how I do it. Why do you keep asking me? It's a secret. This because is my secret the, the, source. Our, our audience would like to understand the mechanics there. That's then, cool. Then call me if you want to understand. <laughs> okay. Uh, so right, we first inject some working capital. Uh -huh. Yeah. Maybe hire a few more people to make this happen. Then we look for which market, which secondary market would be good for your listing. By secondary market, I mean where we can direct list via a reverse merger. I'll go into that after. Understand. When you do a direct listing, you are just selling your shares that you already have in the business. When you do an IPO, you are creating new shares mm -hmm. that you sell to the public. Mm -hmm. Secondary market are already existing shares. Mm -hmm. Much simpler. So we would look at, for her, she's based in the UAE. 
Yes. So you look at the Abu Dhabi exchange or the Saudi exchange. They're both amazing exchanges right now. I have great experiences with them. They invest a lot into the companies. They want them to succeed. They're really hands-on. If it was a European or American company, I would look at the NASDAQ. These are all secondary markets. Mm -hmm. This is the untraditional disruptive way to get listed fast within six months. Mm -hmm. So what we would do is a reverse measure. You just find an empty shell that's beautifully wound up, no bad trading history, no dodgy members. Buy the shell and you're listed overnight. Where does the money come to buy the shell? from the working capital that I've injected. Okay. And if the shell is very expensive, because I did come across one really nice one on um, on the NASDAQ that was about $2 million because it was so well wound up. It was a prestigious shell. And what I did, I didn't want to pay $2 million for it, so I did an equity swap. So they now have a small shareholding in, in, in the shell. So they're winning as well. They're happy to do it. So we list. Then we start trading shares. All you need is a positive movement of shares. Mm -hmm then you can scale your business in such a beautiful way by escaping all the trouble and all the downfalls that people are experiencing. And you have you have a push. You have that ammunition to go take over the world and you don't have to worry about working capital and cash and raising. The only the only potential downside is that you have to keep up with your reporting. You have to be professional. You are looked at 24-7. Your books, how you run the business, if you're the CEO, you have to be legitimate in everything you do. So that's a screening process that I have to go through with the client to see are they going to mess up on that level because it does happen, as you've seen, because that can influence your share price. So that's what I would do with this yeah. with this lady. She's so any, honestly, so I don't know. To go to that stage has to be highly compliant mm. highly structured and highly regulated yeah there are lots of, it's not just you know you can't mess about a real estate brokerage that's yeah. the number one seller for email that's turning over 25 million dollars a year that want to go public but employs a bunch of commission only salesmen and a lot of it's on a wing and a prayer and a lot of it's under the table okay employing commission only salesmen is fine if anything that's a great way to just keep your company lean under the table is not going to work I cannot even get involved with anything like that because that's my reputation on the line. And in well. a part of the world where corruption is rife, mm -hmm. and we just saw on the news a couple of days ago the mm -hmm. British people bringing cash over yeah, yeah, yeah. and you getting uh, convicted, um, we know for sure that there's properties being bought here with crypto. We know that there are real estate brokers that have told me sure. that they're changing money from different currencies. <coughs> and <laughs> in, making into, money on the arbitrage and whatever. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah. In a place that has so much corruption, surrounded by very corrupt countries too, Pakistan, India, for 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 sure, yeah. have a lot of corruption. If you go to East Africa, it exists. Well, it, corruption exists everywhere. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that? Very easily. I'll tell you why. I'm Pakistani myself, so I can spot a corrupt personality quite easily. I would say. Also, you said it yourself. You answered your own question. Corruption is everywhere. Now, corruption in this part of the world. Is quite obvious. Corruption in the West happens, if not more, they just hide it better. It's called a hedge fund. <laughs> so <laughs> everyone does it. And I don't see it as a roadblock in my business at all. I just stay clear of something that doesn't feel right. I always trust my gut in my personal life and my work life. And my gut has never let me down. Mm -hmm. How many companies have you done this for? Six. Okay. I'm on my seventh now, which is a very exciting satellite company. Okay, so these six companies, just give me the industries. Food delivery company in Asia. One was an IT company. One was a fintech company. One was a science company. One was infection prevention. And the other one was, uh, it was a hybrid between a lot of different things, multiple industries. More of a holding company. Yeah. Okay. So I'm quite agnostic to the field. What I look for is, what is the disruption? How strong is it? How scalable is your business? I need a million dollars in revenue and we can talk. Interesting. And have you now set a business up that does just that? Mm -hmm. And how much of your time does it take? If you start working with a company, so let's take Lena as the example. Yes. You're like, I've got to meet that Lena. Yes. Okay. And do you, you, want and to you meet probably her? need to meet her anyway. I do want to meet so her. So you meet yeah. Lena. Yeah. I'm the investor. Okay. So you meet Lena in the traditional way. Um, 
and you sit down with her and it's, you know what, you look at what she's doing and you love what she's doing and it makes a load, load of sense. From the, from the day that you say, right, let's get going mm-hmm. to a point of reverse merger mm-hmm. onto a secondary market, yeah. what's the time? So this is post due diligence. I've given the green light. Yeah, let's say you've done three months of due diligence okay. and you've got the green light and you're ready to go. Okay, I'll do six weeks of due diligence. Six weeks. Yeah. Then, if we get the green light, I will inject the first amount of working capital in about six months. But I cannot give you an answer on when that listing happens. I'll tell you why. It depends on their sector and it depends on the climate. As we are now, I will probably list some companies by the end of this year. Next year... I need to see what happens next year because I look for certain peaks and troughs in the market of that country that I'm listing and I will make my decision when to go in. That's all. But it's not going to take years, one or two years. Okay. And how often do you get approached by companies to do this yep. or are you on the lookout for the right type of companies? Well, what, what's the, what's involved here? So we get, as a group, we get pitched maybe 20 to 25 companies a month and I'm always on the lookout for good quality companies and are most of them not oh we'll pick i mean one 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 every three months we'll pick okay yeah is that 75 you'll pick one okay so you're seeing a lot of shit i wouldn't say shit you know you know that that aren't in the right right so that's not fair yeah you you you, you're seeing a lot of companies that aren't ready they're just not ready for me they don't fit what i'm looking for you know a lot of the times i find these really cool disruptive companies that have done 10 million dollars in sales and I cannot get on with the founder. It's so important for me to get on with the founder, not even the CEO, it's the founder, because if we can't get along, the business will not be a success. I tried it and failed. Okay. And you say you're agnostic to industry. Yeah. So you're open to that. Tell me about the business itself. How many people are involved in the business? What kind of roles are involved there? Uh, who's doing what? And um, what can, who can people expect to meet? So it's myself and it is Alex, who I think you've met on the boat. The Serbian guy? Yes. 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 Is he in Abu Dhabi? He is, is he it? lives between Dubai and Serbia. Oh, okay. Maybe I have Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Well, next time you're in town, I'll introduce you. Sure. So it's myself, Sarah Madani, who you know, mm-hmm. and Alex. Okay. What does Sarah do? She is head of marketing. She's our CMO. And by marketing, I mean financial marketing, obviously. It's not a B2C business, it's B2B. So she spreads the word with all of our international contacts, even politicians, heads of states, and that's how we get stuff done. Because sometimes we need, we want to list on the Frankfurt Exchange and we need to do it fast and she'll be the one to to get it done. Then Alex is our CFO. He is the most creative financial person I've ever met. He's our genius. Okay, she's the guy that, that, yeah. that that's there. But we all work, we all work together. You ask how many hours or how how much time do I spend on this? I only work Monday to Wednesday in life, so I do everything Monday to Wednesday. Thursday is my weekend. It's when my weekend starts. What? So why you sat with me on a Friday afternoon? Well, th- this is fun. This is not work. See, right? Good. This this is one yeah. of that. I was loading. I know, I know. You were fishing. <laughs> uh, so work, serious work, is Monday to Wednesday. So I get all my stuff done in those three days. Okay. Yeah. And is this your primary focus or do you do other stuff as well? I have one other focus at the moment, which is Fix. I don't know if I told you about our health brand. So Sarah and I are launching a health brand in about 30 days from now. I am so excited. Health brand. Health. Health, And what do you mean? Products. What kind of? Health products. So it's all disruptive products for the B2C market, for people like you and I to use in our everyday life. Every product is disruptive. It's backed by heavy research from the top medical schools in the world. And it's cost effective. Because something that was really pissing me off is that the most amazing products are only available to the 1% because they're expensive. And this is something that I wanted to change. And as someone with a science background, I know how science works. I know how, the, how much the chemicals cost. It doesn't need to be that expensive. So I just created a range of cool stuff that really works and everyone can afford. It's called Fix. And yesterday we just say, signed Wycliffe as our last equity partner, uh-huh. which I'm very excited about. Wycliffe. Wycliffe Sean. And he. The producer. The music guy. The music guy. He's produced sure Mariah, Whitney. Yeah, there'll be something 
everyone. Right now, screaming at the women. <laughs> they're kind of their speaker. They're kind of going, Spencer, you idiot. Spencer, you loser. <laughs> Too old. You should know who Wycliffe is. You know, his background is music, but he's, he's a friend. Sarah introduced me. And he is just such a genius at creating and launching companies. <laughs> and I love his brain for that. So that is why he's going to be such an asset to the company. I can't wait to do our America launch because that's where he will be heavily involved. And we are going to come up with some really cool, really cool things. I'll invite you to the launch party. There's, there's going to be lots of people out there that are either watching or listening, this, yeah. listening to this right now that are going, hold on a minute. I didn't know how to get my business yeah. to the next stage. I yeah. didn't know how to elevate that business. Yeah. Yeah, Th- this sounds like something that, that, that I should be doing. I should be talking to Sabra and her yeah. company. So what's the company called? Biotech Bureau. Biotech Bureau. And yeah. can people find that online? Can people, is that you will go to a website that people can go to? Is that where they go? How, how, do, how do they approach you? Is that what happens? Because I know oh, yeah, yeah. from this podcast, this is going to happen. Okay, and I know you're not here to promote it. I asked you to come and talk about this particular subject, but mm. this is going to happen. People are going to say, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Yeah. So what's the best way for them to be in contact with your business? Yes. So we have a website. Thank you for asking. It's www.biotechbureau.com. And you can reach me at saba at biotechbureau.com. That's S-A-B-A. If you do really fit the requirements, just email me. Okay. A few lines, what you're doing, what your sales are, and let's talk. Okay, so let's make sure that the wrong people don't message you. Yeah. Okay, to be able to be considered, mm-hmm. they must be generating at least $1 million a year in sales, yeah. and they must be doing something disruptive. Yeah. That's it? And scalable. And a scalable business. Yeah. Okay, so scalable, disruptive business that's doing at least $1 million a year in sales. Yeah. Okay, so for all you guys out there that are watching this right now, bear that in mind, okay? If this is something that's relevant to you and it's something that you can benefit from or you think that you can take your company to the next level with the help of Sabra and her team, then get in touch. But be disruptive, okay? Make sure that revenue is coming in of over a million dollars and uh, make sure you do have a scalable business. Okay, Sabra, thanks for coming to join us today. Is that it? I feel like we've got somewhere. I think that we've got some tangible stuff from you today. I can't believe you researched me. <laughs> why can't you believe i researched you i can't believe it why would i not how many friends in common do we have who knows i need to check on insta what about enemies in common i don't have any enemies <laughs> i'm so keeping that as a mic break <laughs> <laughs> i'm so gonna alex you're gonna cut this up and you're gonna cut this up this is that i don't have any enemies I, i'm amazing i'm great i don't have any enemies <laughs> look at me they may think I'm their enemy, but I probably don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely chatting to you. As, more, as time goes Likewise. on, we get to know each other more, and Likewise. I get to see this real person who's behind it. And, and and just to say at the end, you have communicated with me a few times now after coming to Iftar with Maria and yes. the girls. Yes. Um, I, I want you to know how much it means to me. Thank you sincerely that you do that and I know that we'll do some work with them but it meant a lot to me that you took the time to come and spend the evening with them last time and I'm really genuinely I'm very grateful that you did no thank you for including me and by the way I still wear the necklace every day Uh, the day that we got yes for the girls and I wear it almost every day if my outfit allows for it to be there and it just reminds me of that day it's just a gentle reminder to do more do more so please allow me to do more that's really kind of you thank you pleasure Sabah Yusuf's been on the show. Finally. <laughs>